Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Last week, I was really reflecting on New Year's resolutions, sort of the ones that I had gotten off track with and kind of reminding myself of what some of those were and kind of getting back on track and encouraged you all to do the same. And this week, I'm really focusing in on what are the things that set my soul on fire and how can I begin to incorporate those into my everyday life as much as possible. And so for me, actually, this was a big part of setting my New Year's resolutions is this year I really wanted to make it a point to do the things that give me so much energy and rejuvenation, joy, peace as much as possible. And so for me, some of those things were, like I mentioned last week, getting out in nature as much as possible, but others include alone time, which I carve out for myself an hour or two hours actually every morning where I can just read and write and some of the other things that really just give me so much joy and peace and energy are actually having a clean environment. And I know that sounds so silly, but once I realize that, I've made it such a point to end every day with the home in a clean, orderly state. Because when I wake up the next morning in that clean environment, truly my energy is 100% different. I'm excited about the day. I don't have this heaviness of there's this mess over here or there's this mess over there that I need to clean at some point today. And so these are all really specific to me. But what I've noticed is when I make the time, really, really dedicate and prioritize time to do these things, it just completely changes my outlook on each day. Each day I'm so excited to begin because I know that no matter what happens throughout the day, I'm at least going to start the day for me with that alone time that I know is going to be so rejuvenating and centering. And, you know, throughout the week, I'm going to make time for some of those other things. And so I've found that it is such a great way to motivate myself, but also just keep my energy levels high, really giving myself what I know I need spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. So I would challenge you to ask yourself, what are three things that absolutely set my soul on fire? Go deep with yourself here. Really look for those things that maybe aren't something that you would right off the bat come to mind. Um, Yeah, eating a pizza makes all of us feel great momentarily, but what I really want you to try and look for are the things that when you're done completing this activity, you feel rejuvenated, you feel at peace, you feel filled with joy. So ask yourself what some of those things might be. And it could be something as simple as a walk through the park or laying on the beach or 30 minutes to read a book by yourself in a quiet room. 
it can be so completely different for all of us. But really finding those things and then making the time for those can be so truly life-changing. Other random little updates for you guys. I am actually heading off to New York and Rome. I'll actually just be coming back from Rome when this podcast airs. But I'm a little frustrated because I have a UTI and last time I had a UTI, I ended up in the ER because I let it go too long and it turned into a very severe kidney infection. And so I went to urgent care and of course they gave me some antibiotics, which I'm not excited about, but the pain was starting to go up my back. And so I decided, okay, I'll take them. But I actually had taken some antibiotics in October for a bad sinus infection. And oh my gosh, it completely destroyed all my gut bacteria. And for a month after taking those antibiotics, every meal I had hurt my stomach so bad. I had cravings like I haven't had in years, mood swings. It was actually really so impactful for me to see just how strongly antibiotics can affect your gut and therefore affect everything else going on in your body because I hadn't taken antibiotics for a few years actually since um, just switching to a more natural holistic lifestyle and so I was a little frustrated with myself for even getting this UTI in the first place even though it's so common for women and I feel like I actually have very good hygiene and habits in that realm But then also, you know, I got a little panicky because I'm leaving for New York and then Rome. And I was like, oh my gosh, if this turns into a kidney infection while I'm traveling, that would just be so much more harder to deal with. So with that said, I'm taking the antibiotics and no, I don't enjoy it at all. And I really, uh, I'm quite against antibiotics if it's not a, you know, really serious situation. But with that said, um, I'm doing a lot of things to make sure that I can rebuild my gut and protect my gut and my body as much as possible. So I've got a good pro and prebiotic to take while I'm on these antibiotics and afterwards to really help rebuild the gut bacteria that are killed off because maybe I should have said this sooner. But for those who don't know, antibiotics They kill the bad bacteria from whatever the infection is that you may have, but oftentimes they kill all the good bacteria in your gut as well, which can lead to so many issues. When you don't have that good gut bacteria, again, it's hard to digest foods. Your emotions can go out of whack. Inflammation can go up. And then it really paves the way for the bad bacteria to flourish, which again can lead to cravings, poor digestion, um, leaky gut. So not super fun. But with that said, I, there are lots of things you can do while you're taking antibiotics. If you really, really have to, to lessen the damage and then heal your gut as quickly as you can afterwards, because it can actually take up to six months to rebuild your gut bacteria after doing a round of antibiotics, which is horrifying. And another reason why I'm so frustrated that I'm taking these antibiotics right now. So pre-probiotics, I'm also taking a blend of adaptogens because adaptogens really help the body 
handle different stressors and manage them better without being so overwhelmed. Um, And then lots and lots of hydration and lots of fermented foods to really give the good gut bacteria exactly what they need to feed on and flourish. So I will give you guys an update after all of this, after I finish the antibiotics, how I'm feeling after. It's really interesting because I've, I only took them for one day already. And already I feel so much more stressed. I feel like I have zero patience for anything and anyone. Um, my stomach just feels upset and I'm just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I can't believe, um, we do this to ourselves on such a regular basis for some people. Um, you know, it's so detrimental. So anyways, I'm hopeful that all the measures I'm taking while I'm on these antibiotics will really help me, um, not feel those effects as much and really not damage my gut as much but yeah I will update you guys on how it goes compared to October when I really wasn't doing much to heal my gut while I was on the antibiotics so I'm I am interested to see kind of if there's a difference doing all of these measures while taking the antibiotics so that's my little rant my spiel for this week Um, hopefully there's some useful information in there for you guys but today's episode is one I'm really excited about. It is with Dr. Justina Sanders, and she is an amazing, vibrant, inspirational doctor who really focuses on whole food, plant-based lifestyle. And I say lifestyle on purpose, not whole food, plant-based diet, but she will actually get into all of that in the episode. I have actually known Justina or Dr. Sanders for a little over a year now, and through following her on social media and going to actually a couple events where she's been speaking at, I just, you know, I'm so in line with her outlook on life, um, all the things that she's teaching in regards to the type of lifestyle we should be living. Whole Foods plant-based is the nutrition side, but she really, really goes deep too on clean living. And I think we'll have to do a whole nother episode (laughs) going even deeper on all of that. But her approach really is so lifestyle based versus just intervening in one area. And I absolutely love it. So um, Dr. Sanders actually does an amazing job of introducing herself and sharing her background. So I will save that for her. I do have to give a quick little heads up. For some reason, the day I recorded this episode, I woke up with no voice at all. And by the time I was set to record with Dr. Sanders, thankfully I had recovered some of my voice, but I had a really hard time making it to the end of this interview and keeping my voice from completely going out. So I do apologize. My voice gets a little gravelly in some parts, but I hope you guys still have the patience to listen through it. There is really such, such good information in this one. Okay, well, we are going to get started. Thank you, Dr. Sanders, for being here. Yeah, thank you so much, Leanne. I'm so excited to be a guest on your podcast. I know. Well, we could 
talk for days about so many different things. So I'm so excited. But today we're going to be focusing a little bit more on your philosophy, prescription lifestyle, whole food, plant-based. But I do want to start with, because I don't even know this, what's your history as a kid? Did you always want to be a doctor? And, you know, once you were a doctor, kind of what was the journey of that for you? Yeah, so... My history is a little complex in that a lot of different things interplayed in my life to bring me to where I am today and becoming a physician. And um, it was basically, uh, I grew up in a communistic uh, country. So I was born in Poland and my family did everything possible to, you know, bring a lot of different things into our life that basically the government restricted us from having because everybody was supposed to be on the same playing field. Um, You weren't allowed to be more, do more, make more money, make more of yourself. You're basically all the same. So in order to create more opportunities for my brother and I, my parents decided to flee communism. And we basically packed up our entire life in a suitcase or two, Mm. said bye to all of our family and friends, and we fled to Italy, which is where we stayed for a year, and we were refugees there. So that right there, I didn't even know as a young child, but was starting to already um, instill in me these these these, I guess, attributes of questioning life, Mm -hmm. the wanting more in life, wanting more for the betterment of the people that we love the most. And as a young child, I started seeing my parents do and give up everything for my brother and I. And I think those kind of morals really took me to uh, another chapter in my life where um, my mother was ailing from back problems. She was actually almost paralyzed. And I still remember as a young child, we actually finally got into Canada. So Canada allowed us in, so we immigrated there. And growing up with my mom being so um, basically immobile and not being able to do anything, she couldn't work, and so she'd be at home all the time. And, you know, English wasn't her first language, Mm -hmm. Polish was. So uh, for the longest time, my brother and I would have to care for her. And I would actually, as a very young child, I remember age six, seven, have to try to translate things with her doctor and convey all the information to my mom because I was starting to learn this, you know, English Mm -hmm. in school. And um, I still remember. So those those things kind of also accelerated this whole, you know, me wanting to make a difference in people's lives and the people that I love. And when I was around 10 years old, I was at a water park and I still remember there was a little child that was coming off a slide and they were drowning. And I actually saw from the corner of my eye, I dove into the water and I swam over and I grabbed the child and luckily caught them in time. So they, I didn't have to do CPR, but, um, you know, it was always an innate thing in me to want to help and better, um, humanity and the people that I love. And, and then I started volunteering when I was in grade seven, eight, Mm -hmm. um, I was volunteering for the soup kitchen, and then I started volunteering at the hospital, and that is where I fell in love with the hospital and everything and anything about it and the humanity that I thought was really, truly rooted in medicine, um, that this is the kind of 
job, career, really it wasn't a job or a career, but really it was a way of life Mm -hmm. that was this beyond yourself kind of spiritual endeavor. And it's how I always saw medicine. And from the very beginning, it was a a very spiritual connection to others and, and life. And I thought, oh my gosh, a dream. This is such a dream. Like to actually think of being in this kind of career where Mm -hmm. every single day I get to wake up and I can literally go into a space and help save the people and help save the world. And I tear up because uh, it literally is the oh reason gosh, I why that. I've always dreamed of becoming a doctor. And mm. it, it's still in me today. And every single thing that I do in my life with my purpose is always aligned with that. And um, that's what kind of put me on the path and led me to my do my undergraduate degree in pre-med. I chose kinesiology mm-hmm. as my um, undergraduate degree, so I specialized thereafter. So it was basically exercise science for your audience. I'm not sure if everybody knows what kinesiology is. I know. It's kind of up and coming. I mean, maybe not so much anymore, but they actually had kinesiology when I was doing my undergrad. It was a popular degree for all the athletes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's what you'd think. And that's what I thought, you know, applying to a pre-med program. I thought, well, which program is going to be best suited for what I want to do, which is medicine? And, you know, I could have went to biology or Mm. other kind of sciences, but then I thought kinesiology, I always had this notion, oh, it's just about exercise and that's it. And I really, at that point, didn't connect the dots. And once I got into the program, immersed myself and started learning about what kinesiology is, it's beyond biomechanics and the physics of human movement and human motion. It literally is central to why why I do what I do now as a physician, and it's a, a whole mind body spirit approach. Okay. It's um, about integrative medicine. There's aspects of functional medicine in it, but we'll get into the details mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And so yeah, and then from there, um, I went to Poznan University of Medical Sciences for my medical degree. And uh, I did that, and it was one of the most incredible experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, but that is why I've always wanted to be a doctor. It was just, I, I guess, a buildup of different circumstances and situations in my life, mm-hmm. and and basically, yeah, just being um, true to my core and my core purpose and mm-hmm. values as as a human to want to do more for people. And did you? I might be remembering this wrong. Did you say that the program you did was actually more of an integrative medicine approach is that right the kinesiology program or the the, the medical degree no oh, it wasn't so, it was traditional yeah so actually all medical degrees are standard across the board okay. um if you want to practice medicine in north america you have to do a program that is completely aligned with that so hmm. generally speaking i haven't you know looked into the programs in let's say africa and whatnot but Generally speaking, Western medicine, we study from the same textbooks. It's the same test, standardized tests, especially when you're coming into the U.S., they're standardized tests. Everything's standard. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, you learn about biochemistry. You learn about the entire anatomy in depth. You have so many different classes in, in different specific aspects of medicine so like if you wanted to do gynecology you have a whole year of rotations in gynecology um, and obstetrics uh, you know if pediatrics or mm-hmm. if you want to do nephrology so that's the kidneys for anybody that doesn't know what <laughs> nephrology is but um but yeah so we basically learned everything and anything about 
medicine. That's mm-hmm. as a physician. Now, branching from that, you can then choose a specialty. And from there on, there's a lot of different things that happen in my life that made me choose the path that I'm on mm-hmm. and maybe question the actual, the actual field that I fell in love with throughout my entire life um, made me actually question whether or not we're doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to do what I'm doing right now with my medical degree, which is to not be an actual traditional practice, but rather be a solution to the field. And mm. my whole purpose, which we could talk about later, is aligned with that as well. So Yeah, I am curious during your degree, what were some of the things that sort of triggered that thought in your mind of like, wait a second, this might not be exactly what I thought it was, or maybe it's just not actually aligned with what I'd like to be doing for people. Yeah. So I feel like I was in a unique position because of my degree in kinesiology. I had already developed the knowledge of, you know, behavioral health, habit formation, um, you know, health promotion, you know, learning how to analyze every message that we have about health and what true health is. So we started, you know, really diving deep into these types of topics throughout my kinesiology degree, let alone, you know, classes literally had a class called mind, body, spirit. And I thought it was a joke, right? It was amazing. And going through the class, okay, when I signed up, I still remember the first day, everybody's like, oh my God, everybody said that this is the best class in in kinesiology. And I thought it was going to be a joke class. But what I gained from that class was this whole new perspective of health that really started the ball rolling in my mind, kind of questioning things and starting to put things together. And when I took all of that knowledge from kinesiology and I did my medical degree and through my years... And, you know, learning the hardcore sciences and the way that I was about the human body, I started questioning things in the back of my mind. Well, okay, so this person has this diagnosis. Let's say you you are a patient, you come in, and we're doing a one-on-one history analysis or history intake, let's say. And I'm asking you all these different questions about how, you know, basically the role is to try to figure out where the symptoms are coming from and if I could put the symptoms together like a detective and give you a diagnosis and then give you a medication, send you off on your way and maybe do a follow-up. And that's Western medicine in a nutshell. I'm not very, very much simplifying it, Mm -hmm. but that in a nutshell is how we're supposed to operate. So knowing the intricacies of the human body and everything, we're supposed to put these symptoms together. So I still remember going through all these years, you know, asking the questions, well, but wait, 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 you have this symptom. Why do you have this symptom? Mm-hmm. I want to know, okay, I don't, I don't really sure want to know like this symptom with the second symptom and this third symptom, how these interplay and how these work together to give you the manifestation of the disease that you have right now. That's fine. But I want to know more so what caused this symptom and maybe this symptom to come about mm-hmm. was there an exposure was there something else was it a mental thing were you stressed out and were you in a certain environment that actually perpetuated something and then all of a sudden it manifested into symptoms and all of a sudden now we have to put a stamp of disease on it like mm-hmm. this is xyz disease mm-hmm. and therefore you have to have this medication mm-hmm. and here's the one cure for that right. disease like it's very i guess linear like if you have a here's b it's not yes any other approach yes. to it really yeah and and the, the problem it's great in one sense because it gives us standards and of care mm-hmm. what we call 
Which is amazing because you have to have standards just like, you know, in universities to pass certain tests, to get into certain things. But where those standards actually hinder the whole approach to humanity and human health is where you're thinking that somebody fits in this grid, in this tight-knit little sequential, I guess, pattern, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And there's nothing beyond that. And there's no questioning beyond that. Mm -hmm. And And if you're outside of the grid doctors don't know what to do or many doctors don't know what to do because it's like you don't fit the standard and we don't really have a system that looks at what's not standard exactly so exactly and this is where I always question you know as doctors we're teachers and as teachers we need to teach and if we need to teach we need we need to be educated Mm -hmm. therefore in all forms of medicine And that's where the limitations, I believe, of Western medicine really come in and where we need to start changing and transforming the field to broaden the Mm -hmm. education that doctors have and for them to therefore be able to create and maybe have those questions in Mm -hmm. their mind to think outside of the box and think, what else can we do in, in, you know, to do no harm because that is our oath for a patient that is going to cost them the least amount, be as least painful to them, and be long-lasting, sustainable, something that will, you know, not just be for now a Band-Aid approach, but really looking at root cause and other maybe integrative approaches where we can create a space for them never developing this disease or having a, yeah, let's say the four-letter word, cure, you know, Mm -hmm. God forbid. Mm -hmm. And that's what one of the things we never really learned about in medicine. There wasn't the word cure, I promise you, was actually almost never said. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Unless the patient said, doctor, is there a cure for this? Mm -hmm. Well, the research says da-da-da-da-da. Or let me tell you that the statistics are da-da-da-da. As opposed to saying, there have been people with your condition who have had, you know, their disease completely dissolve, disappear. Mm -hmm. And, you know. What is the fear around that since we're on it? is the doctor afraid to promise them too much or are they actually not educated? Maybe they don't realize, like, for example, I research a lot about hypothyroidism because that's, you know, something I was technically diagnosed with. And my doctor would basically said, you have this, we don't know why, here's a pill that you're going to take for the rest of your life. By the way, it has symptoms, but you'll just have to get used to it. More symptoms. More (laughs) symptoms. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We cure a couple, but we give you some new ones. But I went off and I mean, I read like five books on hypothyroidism and just thyroid diseases and health. And I mean, there's thousands of people who yeah. have gone into remission yeah, from hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, hyperthyroidism. And it's just, for me, it's so strange. I, I It's hard to reconcile because in my head, I'm thinking, so did my doctor just not know or do they not believe the research you know, what do you think is going on there yeah. in most cases? So I think the first thing is, you know, we listen to our teachers, our professors, and we listen to the textbooks mm-hmm. and the studies, research. We're very heavily research-based. That's Western medicine. So research, textbooks, nor professors use the word cure at all. They'll say, you know, we can never be 100% in medicine, and you cannot give people false hope. You cannot, cannot do this, cannot do that. And it creates these restrictions and limitations. And as 
understandable as that is, on one hand, on the other hand, it already creates this image in the patient's mind that this is something they're doomed and doomed with and they Mm. can't do anything else about it. It's almost like this, this thing, like a plague and that's it. That's, that's your sentence for life. And, um, that's where that false hope is. And I really think it's a detriment to the human being that you're treating because they then perpetuate the disease process in Mm. thinking that, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm sick. You know, their mind's already in the mindset of I'm sick, I cannot get well, or this is not something that someone gets rid of. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it it does something where in their minds, they don't think that they can do anything to change the circumstances that they're in. And that's where the problem is. And that's where lifestyle and giving people the understanding of lifestyle and their lifestyle and what they could do to change things mm-hmm can give them their empowerment back to say, wait a second, let me analyze a few things, change a few things, and maybe maybe I can reverse some of these diseases that I have. Mm-hmm. So, And it's, it's really demoralizing and it takes away your empowerment. Because for me, it was exactly that thing of like, so my body's failed me and I don't know why, but my body is faulty versus yeah. no, maybe the environment you're in or the lifestyle you're living has harmed your body and actually the way I look at it now is like I'm so grateful to my body for giving me these signs that something's wrong yeah but the body is absolutely capable of healing itself if we can heal the environment around it so I think that's a perfect segue yeah into and I just wanted to actually add you know a lot of times people think oh the doctor the doctor they're the most important actually you're the most important Mm -hmm. I always say this it's your body we're not the healers. And when doctors call themselves healers, I'm sorry, but I don't agree. We're not the healers. The human body is the healer. Everybody is a healer. And it's just tapping into your own body to seeing what your body needs and trying to optimize your environment and your lifestyle to give your body what it needs. Mm -hmm. That's where the healing comes in. Your body has those innate capacities to heal, but you just have to give it exactly what it needs. Mm -hmm. And Maybe you don't know what that needs. So maybe you need to talk to someone who knows what that needs. And all you have is, you know, your symptoms, your body speaks to you in that language of symptoms. And maybe that's all you have, but that's where you could start questioning things and going to the right people Mm -hmm. to get the right answers, Mm -hmm. to figure out what it is that your body might need. Mm -hmm. And educating yourself. I think sometimes people ask me, where can I start? what should I do first to clean up my lifestyle? And I think my first answer is just start educating yourself. 100%. Read, talk to your doctor, have discussions. But I think it's, there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect because what I've noticed is when I do educate myself, my doctor, my previous doctor, no longer my doctor. (laughs) This um, is what happens when you educate yourself. They get get (laughs) turned off. You you leave your previous doctor and you go find another one. Well, so I would try to have informed discussions. Yes. And And that's standard care too, is informed consent. And then see, we, we... we contradict ourselves. On one hand, we say, oh, it's all about informed consent to you as a patient. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like we're not informing them of everything because you don't know everything. Yeah, so. exactly. And then when you try to have that discussion, I noticed, at least for me, they got very defensive and right away kind of had this air of like, oh my gosh, here's another patient who 
read on Google something and thinks they know everything. Yes. And so I think it has to change from both sides, right? We absolutely need to take education into our own hands from reliable resources. Yes. yes. But then I- doctors also need to be open to, oh, great. Here is someone who's done a little bit of research. So I need to actually give them all the information about this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, sometimes too much information, it, it's it's just overwhelming mm-hmm. for patients. So mm-hmm. you do have to feel out, you know, your patient and, and see what they need. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, you've graduated. You're like, I'm doing my own thing now. So what happened? Has your, what <laughs> happened? What has your philosophy become? Yeah. Yeah, so basically after graduating medicine, I moved to the U.S. and I took a year off because I was not a U.S. citizen. I am now, um, but I She's was... legal, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, yeah, in that year, a lot of different things happened and a lot of different elements came in that I didn't expect for me to then start questioning my entire life, let alone my career and my purpose in life. And so, you know, my husband, who, uh, so we got married, and he went to residency, and I was staying home, so I was waiting on my green card. That was the gist. Couldn't even volunteer, by the way. When I wanted to volunteer, you had to have a green card to volunteer. Oh, wow. So I was isolated. I know, it's kind of funny, but it's sad at the same time. But, um, you know, I was uh, isolated. I was partaking in some of the residency program classes that they just had. They allowed me to come in because I you know, was a physician and sitting at home. So sometimes I would come in once a week for some of their classes. But um, otherwise, I was at home all the time. We had one car and I got into a car accident Mm -hmm. in that time. And then a lot of health scares came into place. Um, A lot of different health scares. You know, I had enlarged lymph nodes that wouldn't go away for a few years and they were past the size of um, you know, feeling okay. Mm-hmm. Now this is the time you're supposed to be concerned. And I was just waiting and monitoring and, you know, just getting worked up, uh, up the wazoo with physician after physician. And I fell into severe depression. There was other things that happened too. And a lot of family stress and an isolation and not having anyone to talk to, not having any friends, being in a a place that's so beautiful like Arizona. We were living in Arizona and yet I was so depressed. I didn't even Mm. go outside at all. Um, Yeah, so basically I had clinical depression. My doctor, first thing I just have to say, you know, of course took out the notepad script and uh, just said, yeah, here's a prescription. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like I will not take medication. And I, by the way, am not anti-drug. And by the way, I just have to preface, you know, there is a role for some medications, even antidepressant in some cases. Mm-hmm. My thing in my circumstance, being a physician, knowing everything that I knew, I was actually fear, like afraid, petrified of this going on my record and this um, basically ruining my chances of getting into residency. And so I said, no. And she's like, you're clinically depressed. You should go, you know, go, you should take this, Mm -hmm. go to the pharmacy, just, you know, start, start going on this medication. Never once did she offer psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, uh, various different other forms of alternative therapy, even acupuncture. There's so many acupuncture, acupressure. There's so many different ways that you could, you know, try to, cure yourself or at least help alleviate some symptoms of depression Mm -hmm. if at minimum 
Or an integrative approach, which I'll just explain to your audience if some people don't know, is basically where you use these alternative methods, such as the ones I just mentioned, with maybe a low-dose antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an integrative approach where you would use both modalities, so Western medicine and Eastern slash alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. She didn't offer me that. And so I left, you know, and I was trying my hardest. And in that year, this is what happened. I started researching other ways that I could try to get out of my depression. But honestly, it wasn't very intense because I was so numb. I felt like I didn't even want to get up every day. You know, two o'clock would roll around. I would still be in bed. And then I would be like, oh, my goodness, my husband's going to be home in three hours. He'll know that I've been in bed all day. So I need to get up, put some makeup on, you know, look like I did something. And I did that for about a year and less than a year. But in that time um, of being so clinically severely depressed, I actually stumbled on a lecture. And this lecture was uh, provided by a physician and it was on whole food plant-based nutrition. And I thought this was this was actually quackery because <laughs> it said that it was supposed to reverse heart disease. I'm like, this is nuts. Hmm. No way. But you know what? It was free food and we couldn't afford <laughs> anything. So my husband and I were like, okay, let's go, Great. you know, date night. <laughs> so we went and I literally remember, I remember what I was wearing, where I was sitting. I remember the lecture, like it was yesterday. Oh wow! And I was just, I had chills like run up and down my body because when the information was being presented here, I'm going to cry again, Leanne. Yes, I'm that <laughs> sensitive because I, I these it. are profound moments yeah, that really changed my entire life. And I still remember sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, this science is so sound. It makes mm. so much sense. The back of my mind, I have to say, I was a little skeptical still, but what I was presented with was already so profound. Mm. I was like, wow. If whole food plant-based nutrition has the power to reverse heart disease and decrease inflammation in the body, why have we been practicing medicine the way we have? Mm -hmm. Why didn't we learn this in medical school? Why didn't we have this conversation with our patients? And why, if this was true, you know, why wasn't I told this that could have potentially saved so many of my patients' lives? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So I went home. I was elated. But at the same time, so mad, Mm -hmm. questioning everything about my medical degree. And that's where a little little seed was planted in my mind of starting to wanting to kind of separate myself from the very stiff point A to point B only, you know, in that grid type of approach, Western medicine approach of symptom based Mm -hmm. kind of approach. And that basically led me onto this whole journey of rediscovering, as I say in my trailer, and revolutionizing medicine in my own mind of how I want to see medicine in the future, I started putting the pieces together. I started learning about integrative medicine and functional medicine. And and, and yes, all the things about whole food plant-based nutrition, I, I was starting to learn and read all of the journals on that. Mm. Is this really true? Like, where are the studies... Um, you know, learning about blue blue zones, so the longest living cultures in the world, yeah, right? And we have one right here in California, right? Loma it's Linda. Crazy. People don't even know that. <laughs> yeah, it's and insane. and looking at the patterns of what they eat and how they live and who they surround themselves with and their lifestyles, putting all these little nuggets and pieces together and learning the preventive based medical modalities, which are Western medicine functional, integrative lifestyle medicine, which became its own field a couple of years ago, Um, like board certified, what we call it, board certified a couple of years ago. 
And I started saying this, wow, why, why aren't we all having this conversation, first of all, from day one of med school, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, why are all physicians not trained in functional medicine, integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine, whole food, plant-based nutrition? And so I created this visionary approach to what I believe all patients and doctors in the field of medicine should adopt and adapt to, which isn't something so incredibly outside of the box, but it, I guess, is because doctors aren't learning this, mm-hmm. is to be educated in all preventive-based, evidence-based modes of medicine, like Mm -hmm. functional, integrative lifestyle, and then approach it from a very basic perspective, which I call using lifestyle as medicine, that you can basically extrapolate and apply to your own life. And it's basically optimizing your mind, your body, social support, environmental impacts, and then whole food, plant-based nutrition at the root. Mm. And by optimizing those, these five principles is my visionary approach, is how you can basically give yourself the best chance at living not just a long life, but long and healthy life that mm. you can. I love so. that. I mean, it's, I love, I love you for so many reasons, oh, <laughs> but, but specifically because that's exactly like the mission of my podcast is to bring awareness to the fact that we can't just focus on one aspect of ourselves. We could work out all day long. We could eat great all day long, do one or the other, but we have to focus on everything. And there's so many amazing treatments, modalities out there that can help you. And it's like, for some reason, there's just a little bit of taboo. I mean, acupressure, lymphatic drainage, light therapy, sound therapy. I mean, so many things that, you know, if you're in a car accident, okay, sure don't go sit in a sauna. You need Or that. don't go just eat broccoli or something. Yeah, like you, you need that course, acute medicine acute care. care is amazing for that. There's but. so many incredible modalities. And I think what I'm really trying to do is show people like there is actually good science behind yes. many of these amazing natural science. Yes. Uh, modalities. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I was just going to add to what you said, actually, because 95% of all chronic diseases are lifestyle-based diseases. That's crazy. Only That's 5% crazy. is genetics, right? And so, yeah, when it comes to the acute care, like you were mentioning, our Western medicine, bar none, it, there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. Nothing better. You know, you don't want, you want your surgeon when you have that, that need for it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to chronic disease, diseases such as heart disease, strokes, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, Mm -hmm. you know, we mentioned that before. All of these are chronic diseases. 95% of them are lifestyle, which means, I mean, hello, this is the best news you've heard all day. (laughs) You have the power in your lifestyle to prevent, treat, and reverse up to 95% of chronic diseases. 95%. So if that's empowerment, I mean, I don't know what is. That means like, you know, everything you've learned maybe from day one of life, you know, it's in your hands. Mm -hmm. You just have to know what to do in your environment to optimize your body your systems in your body, your cells in your body. And that's with, like I said, the mind, body, social support, environmental impacts, mm-hmm. and whole food, plant-based nutrition. Uh, targeting it from five different pr- principles, like how do you optimize your mind? Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't know, and there's so many modalities on how to optimize your mind, how your doctor can teach you how to optimize your mind. Different tests that you can uh, do in Western medicine or Eastern medicine or alternative medicine that you can 
maybe learn more about what's going on in your body in terms of your mind this time I'm talking about the mind so for instance you know we we all know yoga is good for you breathing techniques you know everybody understands that now but you understanding why is that important not just it's important but why is it important really figuring out which modality works for you just mm-hmm. because someone says this yoga is good but maybe for your body you don't like it or it doesn't mm-hmm. put you in that mindset or it doesn't alleviate the stress strain or whatever that that you're going through maybe it's pain maybe you have chronic pain and you're doing yoga for chronic pain maybe right now it's not good for you maybe for you in particular you should be swimming or maybe just a brisk not brisk walk but just a walk you know there's so many different things and um we could spend hours talking about just each and every single one of these principles Mm -hmm. and how to optimize each and every single one. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most important, and not always though, I say it's the most important in that it gives you that almost immediate result. So up to 30 to 60% of chronic diseases are from diet, Mm -hmm. diet alone. So they could be prevented, treated, or reversed using whole food plant-based nutrition. And the reason why I say whole food plant-based nutrition is because it's the only diet, and I say this in quotes, on planet Earth that has ever been shown to reverse atherosclerotic, so basically the plaques that are in your arteries and therefore reverse heart disease. And if you understand the pathology of that, you can extrapolate that to other parts of your body and other disease processes. And knowing that it stems from inflammation and knowing chronic diseases stem from inflammation, you can use this thing called common sense Mm -hmm. and know that if it does this for heart disease, which is the number one killer in America, then it will do that for other diseases. And we've seen this across the board with people who have diabetes and other, other forms of chronic disease curing their diabetes type 2 for instance with whole food plant-based nutrition as an example that's insane can you list specifically some other diseases or illnesses that whole food plant-based has been scientifically shown to quote-unquote cure Cure. because I think it helps when people actually hear maybe one that they are struggling with and really connects for them so this is the only thing so we've seen we've seen studies like diabetes so I mentioned I Um, I mentioned diabetes um, for sure. Uh, That has been shown scientifically. Type 2 diabetes is what I'm talking about. So for various people, I don't know if you know, there's type 1, type 2, and even there's a type 3, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we'll put that aside. So type 2 is the type of diabetes that is completely reversible using whole food plant-based nutrition, and we've seen that. But the thing I wanted to to just, I think this is a really good place to, to, to discuss this is, you know, we have all of these studies that show, you know, curing certain diseases such as heart disease and diabetes. And there's this other part of medicine that is basically what we call anecdotal. Mm -hmm. And so when someone has what we call a transformation or a quote unquote cure, I'm going to say this again, it's not quote unquote, it's actually, it's a cure. Okay. It it is. They're a complete remission of the disease. And, um, you know, there's so many doctors and the scientific community that will brush that to the side and say, oh, well, it's one of those things. It's like an outlier. It's mm-hmm. like not really curative. Mm-hmm. It's just this one person, for instance, cancer. You know, I've personally met, met with, worked with and had people who have cured their cancer using various different modalities. I'm not talking just whole food, plant-based nutrition, um, but you know, going raw vegan or vegan, but not vegan in the sense of eating processed vegan, 
hence whole food plant-based, but using all of these different modalities and getting to a point where they've literally become cured. They Mm -hmm. no longer have that tumor. It's regressed to such a point where it's uh, non-detectable. You can't detect it, you know, in labs and, and, and on MRIs or on CT scans. And this is one of the things that we don't acknowledge in Western medicine. And I just have to say it is so infuriating because I'm sorry, but if there is someone who has tried, let's say, 10 different modalities, and just because we do not have a study Mm -hmm. that shows how these 10 different modalities cured someone's tumor, cured someone's diabetes, cured someone's, um, you know, SLE or other types of um, uh, autoimmune diseases such as hypothyroidism, just because we might not have every single study showing that, but we have anecdotal evidence of people going on 10 different therapies. Oh yeah, here are my scans before, here are my tests before, here's the after. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is Western medicine's incredible, but it's flawed. Mm -hmm. And we as doctors need to be able to see these anecdotes and create a platform for them to say, how can we analyze this and how can we apply this to the masses to give them safe recommendations that are still evidence-based evidence-based that yet maybe aren't in a journal, but evidence nonetheless, because we have scans, we Mm -hmm. have tests, we have, you know, we've all discussed with their physicians, what their condition was like before, during the process of maybe curing and then after. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really important to not think so rigidly Mm -hmm. and, and think kind of you know, more well-rounded in terms of the evidence. So something, excuse me, something you said that I want to touch on more is just how chronic disease is based off of chronic inflammation. Yes. Right. So I want to touch on that and how whole food plant-based really addresses that, but give us an overview of whole food plant-based diet Mm -hmm. and how it's different from other diets that we might know of. Yes. So whole food plant-based nutrition, I like to try to stay away from the word diet. I'd only use it in the context of what we would recommend, you know, oh, what's their dietary regimen or something like that. The reason why is, you know, I've studied a lot about language and the way you speak with people. Um, I still remember in my years of kinesiology when we were working with patients um, who had certain diseases and certain limitations and I still remember my professor saying, no, 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 this is not a diabetic. This is someone with diabetes Mm -hmm. because you speaking in that way almost defines someone and it defines something. Yeah, it becomes their identity. Right. And so it, it again is that whole mindset of that very rigid thinking in that it brings limitations and it brings uh, restrictions and it brings certain things that you feel like you can't now do because you're a certain thing, a certain disease. Same thing with diet. I don't like that word personally because that's when you think of diet, you think of losing weight, restriction. Uh, again, you are limited with certain things. And, you're and it's limited, temporary. Right, and it's temporary. It's a Band-Aid. Again, the whole Band-Aid approach comes up, right? We don't want that. We want, as physicians, and we should want this, is to have you as a patient or a person thrive in your life. So the whole concept of lifestyle is a much more welcoming um, and much more well-rounded approach to human health as opposed to diet. And mm-hmm. when it comes to nutrition, physicians should stop, in my opinion, using the word diet um, and start using the word lifestyle in the context of whole food plant-based. Because other, you know, there's standard American diet, there's 
you know, all these different things. These are not, um, these are disease promoting where a lifestyle is the whole, the whole thought of lifestyle is it's lifelong Mm -hmm. and lifelong to live a long life. You know, what are you going to do? You optimize that lifestyle. And so whole food plant-based fits perfectly in that. So what is it? So it is a basically dietary regimen or nutritional regimen where you're eating various different plants and mushrooms, because mushrooms aren't plants, right? Um, and grains, but um, it does not include any animal products at all. So it's devoid of any meats, dairy, um, eggs, and uh, I don't know if your audience knows the specifics, but basically we would call this vegan, but I actually call it unprocessed vegan because when people ask, they whole food plant-based seems really complex. They know what vegan is, so when I say unprocessed vegan, it's light bulbs, light bulb mm-hmm, moments mm-hmm. for them. It, they get it because it's just eating like nature intended, mm-hmm. right? It's eating plants in the, the highest quality plants that are basically, you know, and I'll just say this, raw or cooked in nature, but, but optimized in that you're extracting what you need from the plants in the ways that you need it. So for instance, if you want vitamin A, or no, let's say lycopene, lycopene from a tomato. You eat tomatoes because they're really super high antioxidants like lycopene. Okay, well, how do you maximize your, uh, like how much lycopene that you get or that your body when you ingest it will make it more bioavailable is what we call it. So more available for you to take up into your cells. Mm. So lycopene when you cook it, when you cook a tomato, like tomato sauce, it actually becomes more bioavailable. Whereas if you eat a raw tomato, if you're eating it because you want, oh, you specifically want the vitamin C, it's more, you know, vitamin C potent in its raw form. This is why I say, you know, both raw and cooked alike plant foods are amazing. Mm -hmm. There's some Things that you shouldn't be eating raw, grains, for instance, (laughs) you know, some grains. uh, um, Or even mushrooms. You shouldn't be eating mushrooms raw because they actually have a carcinogen in them. So you don't want to eat raw mushrooms. An example. Mm -hmm. But but it's so medicinal. And the whole aspect, the whole the whole point of whole food plant-based nutrition is that we've seen time and time again, even looking at the longest living in the cultures in the world, they they live a and eat a predominantly, predominantly, and I will use that word because I've had people say, well, well, they eat one piece of fish every, you know, month or every two months or, or when they're in season or something not like year that. Round. So yeah. So what, what I say is predominantly, we look at the patterns of what do they eat on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. What is their lifetime, lifestyle on a daily basis? And then we look at epidemiological studies and other types of studies, you know, Dr. Dean um, Ornish with his mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine studies and Dr. Esselstyn with his studies. We see, you know, the reversal of heart disease with his. And um, we see that this is the lifestyle that has been the closest in terms of optimization of human health than any other diet in history. Mm-hmm. And diet, again, I'm using that word lightly. but And that's why this emphasis of whole food plant-based nutrition has come into play in, in medicine and why physicians are starting to take note and why we now even have a medical conference that I've been going to now for years. Uh, it has been around, I believe, for now seven years. And every year they sell out um, 
and it's a thousand plus medical doctors and healthcare practitioners coming talking about whole food plant based oh, wow. nutrition. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's a huge, huge step forward. It is a huge step finally. forward. Yeah. 20, 2020, we finally made it. I know. Um, okay. So talk, some of us talk some about <laughs> what is it? Excuse me. What is it in the animal products that is contributing to chronic disease? Okay. A lot of things. You have two more hours. Okay. <laughs> I will bring up some a few little tidbits, but generally speaking, you know how we mentioned chronic disease and chronic disease stems from, it's basically systemic inflammation. It's just full body inflammation. And and sometimes not. You, sometimes you have inflammation in one part of your body. I'll give you an example, like your cervix. If you have um, HPV, a virus, if you have that on your cervix, you know, that could develop into a cancer. So that's an example of where you have, um, so human papillomavirus, where you have that contributing to so much inflammation in one localized area that can develop into a cancer in the future, like cervical cancer. That's an example. Systemic inflammation on the whole is what you do in your body every single day. And it's when your blood is constantly inflamed. What inflames your body? So stress, you know, dietary things, environment, all those things. Whole food plant-based nutrition when you eat uh, this way, it helps to circumvent that, like we mentioned. So when you eat animal products, on the other hand, what happens is it actually fuels this inflammatory process. You have uh, inflammatory meteors like cytokines increase when you eat animal products. And we've seen this in studies. Literally, they'll take a person and they'll um, give them even a bite or two of like a hamburger and then watch their inflammatory meteors go up. So interleukin-1, or sorry, interleukin-6, um, insulin-like growth factor 1, or C-reactive protein. I'm sure your doctor maybe has talked to you about that. And these are just blood markers that we mm-hmm. test for and that show us, oh my goodness, this person has some kind of underlying uh, inflammation going on and let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things is the moment that you start eating animal products, we've seen that the inflammatory meteors go up. So right away you're creating this, uh, cocktail and blood cocktail of inflammation and your body when it's inflamed means, oh my goodness, there's something that we need to do repair, um, decrease inflammation. That's what inflammation's for, right? If there's damage to your body, your body releases white cells and all of these other little things, uh, mediators to go and repair whatever damage is done. Mm-hmm. And too much of that on a daily basis is where disease processes start happening and where those chronic disease processes over time start building because if you're constantly exposed to the, the, the inflammatory mediators, your body's constantly reacting, you're going to be constantly in that fight or flight fight mode. And, um, over time, that's when the manifestation of diseases come about. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons is the inflammatory mediators. Um, there's various other things. So if we break down, if you have like dairy products versus meat mm-hmm. versus eggs, there's different things. Um, a big thing that we talk about in the medical community is TMA and TMAO. 
And so what happens is when meat eaters versus non-meat eaters, this was one of the studies done, um, that they've seen that the gut microbiome, and I'm not sure if you talked to your audience about the gut microbiome. Hmm, the I'm ch- starting to. I did, the, um, I did the biome gut test. Yes. Do you know what that is? Yes. So I'm waiting for my results. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great test. And so we have all these, you have about 100 trillion microbes in your gut that are a account uh, for about 70% of your immune system. And these gut microbes, they they help you with so many different processes in your body from fighting inflammation or actually perpetuating and making inflammation worse. So there's good species that help and allow you to thrive. And then there's what we call bad species or species that will actually, you know, contribute to the development of certain diseases. So what they found in in the study that I'm just referencing is that TMA, so trimethylamine, is a compound formed when you eat animal products. So choline, for instance, from animal products or like such as eggs Mm -hmm. and carnitine. So from any kind of animal products, let's say beef, for instance, and you eat these They've actually found that the gut microbes in those individuals who are meat eaters are completely different because their gut microbes produce this chemical called TMA, which therefore gets converted by their livers to TMAO. And this is an atherogenic chemical. Not only is it atherogenic, but, and uh, for those who don't know what that means, it's basically... um, creates the perfect environment for creating heart disease. So Mm -hmm. it's atherosclerosis and plaque formation of your arteries. And they've only found these particular species and those people who eat meat. And then when they've tested, if the people who don't eat meat, if they have these species, they don't even have them. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. It is. It is fascinating because... um, it makes you think, my goodness, if I have heart disease, let's say in my family, it's a thing, um, and I'm at risk for it. Let's say you're, it's 5% of your genetics, right? Mm-hmm. 5%. But you have 5% greater risk of heart disease than, let's say, somebody else if it runs in your family and if it's not lifestyle related, let's say, um, as much. And yeah, so don't you think that maybe you should consider not eating meat if you never want to develop heart disease and you know that maybe you're at greater risk or mm-hmm. something like that? or. Okay, so there's so many questions yeah. I could ask with this because, it, I mean, it's kind of controversial and people get really upset when you tell them yes. eating animals might not be the best thing yeah. regardless of what the studies show. But I do want to try and touch on some of the big things people bring up. Yes, please. Um, so first of all, I think one of my own questions is, do animal products cause inflammation regardless of how clean they are? Because I know for a fact, just my own experience with animal products. Yeah. And the reason I don't eat them anymore is because they make me feel so sick. Yeah. But, and I apologize to the listeners, my voice is going out, so I'm a little scratchy. <laughs> um, when I go to Europe and I have animal products there, I don't notice any tangible reactions. Whereas when I have something that's been grown or made or um, cultivated in America, like if I were to have an In-N-Out burger, the next day my joints are aching. I don't sleep well. I toss and turn. I break out in acne. 
um, so many different things. But in Europe, I don't notice that as much. So I have seen that I think there's definitely a difference in the quality, but I'm curious, does, you know, the cleanest piece of meat from New Zealand still cause even a tiny level of inflammation in the body? Yeah. So I have uh, various different ways I could definitely approach this. First and foremost, there is a difference between, you know, grass-fed, pasture-raised. Listen, if you take away chemicals from anyone or anything and put whatever that is, let's say a cow and they're prancing around, they have no stress, they have less stress hormones pumping through their blood and they have the perfect life with the perfect balanced diet and the and then you end up eating that cow, let's just say, okay, obviously they're going to have, you know, better, that's going to be a better cut of meat in terms of less inflammation mm-hmm. maybe. Okay. And this is a big maybe. But we have known and we've seen that the the actual constituents in the meat or dairy themselves, they are problematic. So regardless if it's the cleanest cut of veal or fish that you can find on planet Earth, that there are things that are already in them that unfortunately, and you know, I learned this much later in life, I used to eat a lot of meat and dairy and the only reason I stopped was I started learning oh my gosh this is actually really harmful Mm -hmm. to the human body and if I'm going to practice what I preach and teach Mm -hmm. I should be doing that and if I'm going to expect patients and people I work with to be doing that I need to be doing that and so when we look at the individual things for instance casein in cow's milk we know that this is one of the biggest carcinogens that turns a part of the cell cycle on. And so it helps promote cancer. Wow. So that's an all, you know, cow's milk, for instance. Okay. It's not just, oh, well, this is, you know, a grass-fed cow, and therefore mm-hmm. it doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. But again, black and white. So when we look at the science, we have to understand, well, what are the components in a piece of beef? What is that? Like, what is the label? You know, I always say, uh, I don't know if, you've ever heard this, but I've always said, I really wish a piece of meat or even a vegetable would come with its own nutritional label. (laughs) That's so true. I would love to see every single protein and every Mm -hmm. single enzyme and every single hormone. I'm going to stress this hormone. Yes. This is another reason animal products have their own hormone endogenous and exogenous exogenous things we put in Uh, in the industry, what we inject into the different animals, and therefore as a byproduct, we end up eating them in the animal products. But also, you know, so that's exogenous, but endogenous within the animals themselves, they're just like, you know, any living species, they have their own hormone levels that help them thrive and, and whatever they need. So when you're ingesting any animal product, you are not ultimately ingesting that animal's hormones. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this the same? Is this safe for me as a human? Mm -hmm. I'm a human. This is another species. Mm -hmm. Are their hormones safe? Just like a drug. Is it safe for me? What are the side effects? Just like a supplement. Are they safe for me? What are the side effects? Are they adulterated? What have they been tainted with? There's so many different little angles and questions that you need to be asking yourself before you ingest anything Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) Yeah. And then particularly, I've read um, a couple books by Dr. Stephen Gundry. Yes. But I think one of his 
biggest topics is you are what the thing you ate ate. So that's a great one. Yeah. And I also like to say, but you're even more what you, so not just what the thing you ate ate, but what you actually absorb and assimilate. Mm, It's a whole other topic. But (laughs) But his biggest point is basically like, you know, if a cow is fed corn, Mm -hmm. you're eating corn. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus if a cow is fed grass, you're eating a little bit more grass. So Um, I think it's a really important distinction, but I try to tell people like, look, if you're not ready to give up animal products, at least switch over to cleaner products because then maybe it's still causing inflammation, but you're not going to have glyphosate and antibiotics and other pesticides that you're also ingesting that are making that inflammation 100 times worse. The only problem with that is a lot of people can't afford the grass-fed beef and the grass-fed bison or whatever it is these Mm -hmm. days, ostrich or something. I don't know. A lot of people can't afford that. And so unfortunately, with a huge sector of the population, that recommendation kind of falls slightly Mm, short in that. But you're right. If they could, that would be a better step. Um, But even better than that is, you know, if you can't afford those kind of things, you also can't afford to get sick. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So if you can't afford to get sick, give up liquid meat, which is dairy. If at minimum, if there's anything that you're going to think about quote unquote giving up, I don't say it's giving up. I actually say, what are you gaining instead? Mm-hmm. Again, that language thing. Yeah. What are you gaining instead? You're gaining your health. What else are you gaining? You're gaining other amazing things, which are alternatives. Key. The alternatives are key when transitioning at, you know, at any point with anything to make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. So let's say you just like leave behind ice cream and then pick up banana ice cream, which is just frozen bananas in a food processor, 19 cents, mm-hmm. 30, 30 cents cheap. I mean, that doesn't cost literally anything. Mm-hmm. As long as you have a refrigerator and you or freezer, you can put it in there, take it out, and then you can throw in a handful of seeds or nuts or a fruit mm-hmm. if you want to... Uh, make it like a berry flavor or something. Yeah, that's such a good point. So, okay, let's address the biggest elephant in the room when it comes to whole food plant da- plant-based plant or unprocessed veganism. Yeah. The million dollar question we yes. all get asked is, where do you get your protein from? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully for the last time ever, we can um, address this, or at least for my audience, address this really why this is not an issue yeah. at all. So it's so funny, and I say this because in all the years of doing medicine through day one of medical school, through my clinical years, and even working with people afterwards, and even my husband, he's in actual practice. He works in a hospital setting. So he has seen, unlike you know a primary care, they see certain population, but in a hospital setting, you literally see everything mm-hmm. and then some. We both and none of our friends and all of our friends and colleagues are medical doctors. And I've actually never, ever heard anyone in America say that this diagnosis of kwashiorkor has ever happened in America. Kwashiorkor is a protein deficiency. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. But 80, like 85% of us are walking around with like vitamin D deficiency. You know, (laughs) it's crazy. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. It's like, 
where did we even get this whole thing from? The only place I could target is the food industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somehow someone said, oh, you need this for protein, protein, protein. And it, now it just becomes so protein obsessed that even the thought of quote unquote, giving up meat or some kind of animal products. Now you are going, which we've commonly, you know, associated with protein. Mm -hmm. You eat this for your protein or you've heard people say, okay, I'll have some vegetables and for my protein, I'll have whatever it is. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Vegetables. Ready? They have protein. Yeah. (laughs) So much. I mean, I think they're like a mushroom. Mushrooms by themselves are one of the highest have one of the highest protein content of any substance on earth per gram. So, so there's mushrooms are high beans, yeah. lentils are amazing. I mean, even sources. things like broccoli, and broccoli, cauliflower. exactly. Yeah. yeah, spinach. I mean, like you can go on and on with leafy greens, and there's so much protein. So, the thought of being protein deficient when you eat unprocessed vegan. I'm not talking vegan because vegan, you could be eating potato chips and a diet coke, and you're vegan. Mm-hmm. That does not make you healthy, and that is very disease-promoting. So that's why I always stress on processed veganism. You will get all the protein you need. You never have to think about it. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) One of the questions I ask, though, is where do you get your fiber? Yeah. Because a standard American diet, only only 3% of the U.S. population gets enough fiber. So if you want the best detox in the world, get ready for it. I said it. It's fiber. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's crazy. I've actually just been doing a ton of research into fiber and insoluble fiber and all these things I'm getting on a bit of a fiber kick but yeah yeah, it's so good for you but that's one of the points I wanted to make is for some reason we the our our society has been conditioned to think oh my god if I get one gram less of protein than I'm supposed to have today I'm gonna die but a protein deficiency isn't any more or less harmful than a magnesium deficiency or a vitamin D deficiency or a vitamin B deficiency. Like there's a million deficiencies we can have. And there's actually some that are way more significant, you know, like vitamin D deficiency can actually play a big cause in a multitude of mm-hmm. B12 illnesses, B12. One. So for some reason, this specific thing has gotten so much focus and I'd really like to see people because <clears throat> people are walking around with protein deficient or excuse me, they're freaking out about their protein. The fear getting, of being protein They're getting all their protein, yeah. but they're walking around with yeah. all these other deficiencies that are actually far more critical to their everyday health. Yeah, and unfortunately, like in terms of like your kidneys and, you know, certain organs, they just cannot handle as much protein as we're giving them in the standard American diet, the mm-hmm. SAD diet. And um, there's so many, there's a plethora of different disease processes. If you, if you eat too much animal-based protein, and I'm specifically saying animal-based because it's so acidic um, versus plant-based protein is much healthier. Our body knows how to assimilate that, break it down really well versus animal-based protein. Our bodies just, we're not conditioned still in the way that people think we, we are we're not we're not designed to eat animal proteins in that way and that's why we're seeing so many different diseases that are manifesting as a result of that mm-hmm. um, so two things one we no one's at risk of a protein deficiency let's be honest two we actually don't need as much protein as we think we do yeah I think I was it's like 
0.36 grams per pound. So, so I always say just a percentage. I like okay. percentages because then it gives people an idea. Did I get a percentage of that? But again, I don't want people to walk around thinking, did I get six to 10%? So that's the percentage approximately six to eight, 10 would be, you know, the most I would say, but you know, if you're living this type of lifestyle, whole food plant-based, the magic in it is you don't have to think about it at all. You don't have to think, oh, did I get that percentage? Was it enough? You know, and what's really great is I actually created a food pyramid based on whole food plant-based nutrition that, you know, because when I was doing this a long time ago at the very, very beginning, compiling all the research and understanding it, I was thinking, okay, well, that's great. This is what you eat. This is what you don't eat. You eat any plant, but I want to see like amounts, like how much fat, plant fat should I eat? How much grain should I eat? How much this? taken me years but after so many years I created a food pyramid and it's free on my website so for anyone that wants to look at it click on it you can read it it explains to you and it's a general understanding like again it's not this checklist did I get this berry did I get this certain grain did I get this did I avoid this how much percentage of this did I count this calorie that's not what it's about because that's not sustainable I know Mm -hmm. I've personally had an eating disorder in the past and with all my medical conditions um, because I suffered from IBS so uh, I personally had I don't know if your audience knows what uh, what that is but irritable bowel syndrome Mm -hmm. Um, so I was constipation predominant, which was very, well, I'll just tell you because we're talking about fiber right now as well (laughs) with this protein, right? That's what I was lacking. And so I thought early on when my doctor was telling me, don't eat these certain plants because the, the, the skins of these plants are hurting you. I was actually avoiding the things that would have aided in my process and my healing, which was the food that had the most fiber. Fiber, fiber, fiber is so good and essential. And that actually helped when I became whole food plant-based, I finally, you know, cured Mm -hmm. my IBS. And so I created this pyramid in light of all of the things that I I learned. And that whole, the whole concept of, again, that rigorous counting calories, counting food groups is just not sustainable. So when you look at it, you'll see there's leafy greens at the bottom and, you know, filtered water, and then you move all the way to the top and then you get to the plant fats, which by the way, I'm just going to throw in in case we don't have time later, but it does not include any oils. And we could do a whole topic on plant oils and Mm -hmm. which ones are extremely detrimental and harmful to the human cell body mm-hmm. uh, organs and and disease process development or aiding in the development of certain diseases but um, all in all it's it's a very great little um, tip I would say for your audience if they were or even contemplating exploring this type of lifestyle yeah. to just look at it and just get curious and see if this is something that they could try just to eat more plants grains whole grains mm-hmm. and fruits vegetables mushrooms yeah. seaweed I actually have it on my fridge but yeah. I'll make sure that we <laughs> link to your website in the yeah. show notes too so <clears throat> oh in terms of fiber I just wanted to also add you know the reason why it is so important you know you know soluble insoluble we could talk about you know decreasing LDL cholesterol, balancing your pH and your colon, and, and uh, reducing your risk of, of, of cancer and heart disease. And you have, you know, the American Medical Association, AMA, you know, talking about the benefits of fiber, all these different huge medical bodies talking about it. 
But a big thing that we're starting to see in the last handful to more, maybe 10 years, but really now is coming to light into the lay public is the microbiome, which we brought up mm-hmm. before. Yeah. The microbiome thrives on fiber. So it's prebiotics. Like the prebiotics. Yes, yes. So so prebiotics and then fiber and resistant starch, these are the things that they need in order to fuel mm-hmm. themselves to be able to live and thrive. And that's their fuel source. So if you don't give them fiber, if you deprive them of that, guess what? You're depriving your immune system of thriving. Therefore mm-hmm. you're depriving your whole body of thriving and hence uh, now you're you're at risk of developing diseases. So and so many plants are just inherently have fiber, but specifically things like, if I'm correct, it's eating, like eating an apple with the skin. Right? Yes. Yeah. So many people just cut the skin off of an apple or peel their sweet potatoes or potatoes. Don't do that. Keep it. Just scrub it, wash it, you know, and eat it. Mm-hmm. Um I highly, highly recommend that. These are just tiny little things that you could do, little tweaks, but yeah, it can make a, a world of a difference in terms of your digestion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are there any other things when it comes to whole food, plant-based lifestyle mm-hmm. where that you notice specifically people tend to get tripped up about? In terms of... Um, well, like for example, protein. Yeah. Like when you first introduce this idea to people, what are some of the big things that they're like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm sure protein is one of them. Like, but what about my protein? Protein. Another thing, people. Oh my goodness, the soy argument. You know, oh, phytoestrogens. Okay. So soy, uh, edamame. This is so good. I'm glad right? you're touching them. Yeah, it have phytoestrogens in them. They're plant estrogens. They are not the same as exogenous estrogens. Like, you know, let's say um, the endocrine disruptors we have in our ocean, and like dioxins and all these toxic chemicals that will actually mimic or let's say also in animals. Animals have their own estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. So when you eat those, you eat the animal products, you're taking in more estrogen. This is exogenous estrogen that you're taking into your body. Plant estrogens, phytoestrogens, act to actually prevent from the development of diseases that are um, basically like breast cancer. There are certain estrogen-predominant breast cancers, so people who um, have uh, either a predisposition or certain genes to predispose them to breast cancer, like BRCA1 and BRCA2, for instance. I, I say those because th- those were widely, um, you know, in the public discussed with the, um, one of the superstars in Hollywood. (laughs) I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Angelina, right? So um, when you have this and you have a lifestyle where you're ingesting estrogen, you are now increasing your risk of those genes that will be turned on, hence the component of epigenetics, right? And your gene, your genetic environment is determined about uh, in terms of your lifestyle. So if your lifestyle is all estrogen predominant you're eating a lot of animal products you're a lot of you having a lot of stress so you're having a lot of hormones you know pumping through and you have more estrogen so that those genes might be turned on therefore you might develop breast cancer simply put right Mm -hmm. but um phytoestrogens when you're eating soy estrogens they actually come into the cell and where you have receptors for estrogen normally where your estrogen comes in and binds normally these phytoestrogens will come in there, in that place, and prevent from these other estrogens coming in and binding. So therefore, they're actually protecting us. Their their whole mechanism works in a different oh, way wow. than our own body's estrogen. Mm. So we're not taking in like a double dose of estrogen just right. because we're ingesting mm-hmm. soy. 
There's a caveat here though. A lot of plant-based physicians don't bring up the fact that organic soy is completely different than non-organic soy. Okay. The reason why is these chemicals like glyphosate and what they do to GMO crops, the things they spray them with, we don't really know what is exactly the harm that those are causing on the human body. That's scary because um, ingesting soy in that form, which soy is one of those subsidized crops that unfortunately is highly genetically modified. Mm -hmm. And that's why we see we see it in everything, soy-based everything, right? So if you're going to recommend eating soy, like definitely never, you know, if you're going to tell your friend, oh, I heard soy is fine, soy is fine, only organic. Okay. Because because of the fact that they're so highly sprayed, they're so, there's so many genetically modified soy crops, you just don't trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely organic and sprouted if possible. And you'll get the dose of phytonutrients that, uh, phytoestrogens that your body needs, including phytoestrogens not only help with preventing to lower your dose of estrogen, and therefore the diseases that manifest as a result of high estrogen doses, but also phytoestrogen help with the process of angiogenesis. Angiogenesis is a process whereby tumors that grow, they grow um, and metastasize to your body. They use various different chemicals and things to help, sorry, them grow. But phytoestrogens actually prevent angiogenesis and that process of angiogenesis. So as well as omega-3s, but phytoestrogens are great for that. So soy is really good for you. I would say, you know, edamame is the healthiest. It's unprocessed fully. So Mm. yeah. So okay. phytoestrogen, soy, that would be one of the things that people are like, I don't know about yeah. this, uh, you know, soy stuff with plant-based nutrition. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I love that. So, all right, reining this in a little bit, <laughs> I do really want to get your opinion on supplements. What's your take? Because, I mean, there's people on both sides of the spectrum and I'm always curious. Yeah. So supplements. Okay. First and foremost, they're... I'm not anti and I'm not pro. And what do I mean by that? I think that there's a role for certain supplements and certain situations with certain people, certain disease processes or not for certain, you know, certain cases, certain populations uh, where, where people are living, whether it's a female, a male, what's happening, all this stuff. Simply put, supplements in general are not FDA regulated. Mm-hmm. That means you really don't know the bottle that you're staring at, what it really has inside. We've seen studies that up to 65 to 70%, I've seen a few studies, but this one study, 65 to 70% of the supplements that they tested did not even have the ingredients they said they had oh inside them. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my gosh. So when you think that you're ingesting a certain vitamin, a mineral, oh. a nutrient, or the whatever they put it in. So if it's fortified, right, then they put it into some food or something else. You really, really genuinely, when it comes to the supplement industry, don't know what you're, what you're ingesting. Mm. So, you know, as a black and white, you have to really do your research and know the company. Know, maybe get to know the owners, get to know, maybe go travel to the crops. Like who's going to do this though, right? And this is why there's a fine line between me ever recommending a supplement or not, because 
it's scary. You know, I'm all about transparency, true health, and the recommendations I make, it's aligned with that. And unless I know for a fact that this says, you know, whatever it says that's on the bottle is truly in the bottle, then I can feel safe with it. Then maybe. But so that's my, my like black and white take on it. Um, another thing is it's scary when people read something on, on, on the internet and then they get misinformed and think, oh my goodness, I think I have a vitamin A need. Oh yeah. These are my symptoms. I totally fall in line here. I think I have all these. I think I need more vitamin A. They'll go to the store. They'll buy vitamin A. They'll take it home. And then they put themselves at risk for hypervitaminosis. And this is when you're taking too much of a certain vitamin, especially fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamin A, uh, which unlike vitamin C, you can pee out. But fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A or vitamin D, for instance, you can actually develop hypervitaminosis and it's so dangerous. You can even die from it. You can have edema of the brain. You know, there are certain things. So working with a provider or someone who can test you for what I say, comprehensive mineral and vitamin analyses is so essential and crucial to you understanding what are you lacking? What is your baseline? Where are you at right now? Do you even need manganese? Do you have it? Is your body producing certain vitamins or minerals or your microbiome, is it producing certain vitamins that you might already, you know, not need that you're getting and assimilating from your dietary intake and, and everything like that. So, so it's a bit more comprehensive or complex, I would say, than just a simple, I'm anti or pro, but there could be a role. There are sometimes people that very much benefit from a supplement like, for instance, if they are vitamin D deficient and they don't have any sun exposure, you know what? Well, that is a place where you should be supplementing with vitamin D around 2,000 international units a day or something like that. You know, um, and I always recommend, like, look at the bottles. Look at, you know, if you are analyzing supplements, see what their recommended dose is. Every lab is different. So, again, they're not st- nothing standardized with supplements. So you just have to be very yeah. careful. Yeah. And look at the binders. See what else is in there um, and analyze that. Um, vitamin B12 is another thing that not just whole food plant-based or vegan eaters, but even meat eaters, we see a lot of people come in with vitamin B12 deficiencies. Why? Because where we used to get our vitamin B12 is in the soil and 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 now we're soil depleted. Like our soil is not the same. Maybe if you go to some stream in the mountains, maybe somewhere there, you know, uh, if you planted some crops there or something, it's completely different than what we have. And the farming industry we can go into all of that but um you know so there is a role for vitamin b12 but if you're also eating fortified foods like nutritional yeast or something like that you might not need to supplement every day the recommendation standard across the board for most plant-based physicians that you should supplement with vitamin b12 cyanocobalamin every single day my recommendation is yes but if you are eating a lot of nutritional yeast for instance i eat it like you know, in our family, one whole bottle a week sometimes, oh, wow. that might not be as necessary to supplement every day. I've never had a B12 deficiency, but again, that's why you need to test yourself yeah. to see what your baseline is and where you're at with your mm-hmm. health. So, And I, I really feel like regular blood testing of just everything that's going on should be something that we do every three months, every six months. I mean, biannually at least, just so you know. Yeah. It's, I think that's an added part of that sort of personal education. Of, Absolutely. We just need to know what's going on. Not once something is off do we yes. get tested. Yeah, and it goes along with the whole education, right? Because you're educating yourself on your body. You don't 
you, you go to a specialist, you go to a doctor, but they don't know how your body is breaking mm-hmm. down that certain anything, right? We just have, you know, your, your annual test too from your Western medical doctor. They're so limited. Oh it's so I'm limited over, I'm never it's doing frustrating. <laughs> you want to try to either encourage your family doctor to, you know, hey, I want to know my baseline. I really want to know like Am I, are my lifestyle choices correct for me? Can I be doing something better to optimize it? Can you give me a, a comprehensive micronutrient, vitamin, and mineral analyses that can help guide me in my life with all the exposures I've been exposed to from day one, right? Mm-hmm. When were you even born C-section or were you born um, vaginally, yeah. you know, t- totally different in terms of, you know, inoculation with the microbiome from your mom and and your, whether you're not going to be predisposed to certain disease processes as a result of the way you were brought into the world. There's so many intricacies and so many different layers and levels that you can start analyzing your life and where you went and who you interacted with, what what environment did you live in, what foods and is there mold in your wall and all this stuff. But the only way to really know where you're at and where you could take your health and how you can, what I say, you know, elevate your lifestyle, level up your lifestyle is really to know your baseline, Mm -hmm. figure out where you are deficient, the best test that you can find instead of buying, you know, the latest, greatest TV or whatever, buy the latest, greatest test with, you know, and I'm just saying that not latest, greatest. These tests have been around for a long time. Your doctor just doesn't order them unless they suspect that there's an underlying reason for them to order a certain test. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you can get these tests and then you can also get, you know, heavy metal tested. You can, that you don't need a doctor. Um, There's some really... There's a lot of different companies, yeah. but that you can send in either a hair sample or a urine sample, and then they can test you. Maybe you have a toxic exposure to lead that you didn't even know about, or you know, other things. Mm-hmm. So, so what if you're if someone's going to go to their doctor and they want super comprehensive blood work? What exactly should they ask for? Literally, have an authentic conversation and say, "Listen, I'm not hypochondriac." I know (laughs) hypochondriac for people that might not know is someone who thinks that there's something wrong with them. They'll find something wrong with them. Nor, you know, you say, I also don't have orthorexia, which is a diagnosis where you're obsessed with healthy living. And that's also not healthy Um, to be so obsessed to the point where you are, your whole life is, is, you're almost immobilized by your lifestyle because every single thing in it, you're trying to optimize to such a degree that now you're not able to live life normally. Um, so, you know, but you just have to have a transparent conversation with your doctor. Remember, you are hiring your doctor, not the other way around. Uh, I understand people get that white coat syndrome, their high blood pressure goes up and they, they start getting uncomfortable. But if you truly want your healthcare provider to actually help you, you have to approach in a way like, okay, well, I'm the boss and I'm going to go in and I'm going to hire them. Mm -hmm. And in that mindset, you're already going to feel more open to and comfortable to have that conversation about what you need from your doctor, not the other way around. And let's say at baseline, you don't have an underlying disease and you just want to get worked up in terms of prevention. You can just say, I'm here because I would like to optimize my lifestyle and I would like to prevent from ever developing disease. And you can even say, I heard Dr. Sanders from Prescription (laughs) Lifestyle say that um, I have the permission to ask you if you could possibly either refer me to a doctor who can give me comprehensive micronutrient um, vitamin and mineral analyses, or maybe you could. 
And the reason I say this is because some physicians, unfortunately, because of the insurance providers that they're with, because um, they might be working for someone in a group, they have limitations and standards that they have to abide by, and they might not have the permission to write up certain tests or to, oh, wow. to okay. you know, to prescribe certain tests for you. Um, so they might refer you to maybe a functional medicine physician or an integrative medicine physician or even a naturopath sometimes, you know, to be able to test you for the things that maybe they are limited in testing you for. But I always encourage, go and have that conversation and just say it like that, comprehensive vitamin and mineral analyses. Because you'd like to say, I would like to know, what is my selenium level? Mm -hmm. You know, what is my manganese? Mm -hmm. What I want to know, chromium, like what, what am I at now? Um, and seeing how then even if you're whole food plant-based, how you can alter that food pyramid in a way that optimizes your health for you the best way to give you maybe, hey, I'm vitamin A deficient. Maybe I should eat foods more high in carotenoids like sweet potatoes are some of the highest carotenoid-based foods. So now I know, okay, well, I'm low in vitamin A instead of going in to the, get that supplement, I'm going to now up my sweet potato intake, mm -hmm. up my, you know, if you're vitamin E deficient, up my sunflower seed intake because those are high in vitamin E. And it seems like an important piece in this puzzle is getting all those tests, but then having someone who really understands it to kind of yes. walk you through it a little bit. Yeah. And so maybe getting those tests done and then checking back in with your doctor or yes. whoever it is you're working with and saying, you know, help me pick this apart. 100%. And that's the danger too, is once you empower patients and people to go and get that information, they'll start analyzing them themselves. Unfortunately, like if they don't really know how the human body works and you know, how the systems interplay and how they work, it's really, really difficult for them to understand the gravity of, well, if I just supplement with this, that'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I always encourage going back, like you said, making sure the doctor look, looks over everything. And, you know, if your doctor does give you a supplement or something, question that, ask the questions, ask what is this going to do? What are the risk factors? How is this going to change anything? Can I do something in my lifestyle instead? With some people, the answer might be absolutely. With some people, absolutely not. This is so dangerous. You need to do this. So, you know, you I, getting that medical opinion is very important with follow-up with all medical treatments and recommendations. They're always important. And if you feel like your doctor's not giving you the things that you need in terms of taking your health to that next level, I highly encourage you to go and shop around and find another doctor that may be on board and totally game and excited for you to take your health to that next level. Yeah, that's so important. Okay, last question. So for people who want to learn more, yeah. they're interested in this. Maybe they're not ready to take the first steps or maybe they are, but they just want to continue their education. What are some resources? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's say I'm biased, but prescriptionlifestyle.com, <laughs> um, my Instagram and just the things that I'm working on. And I'll link all of those. Yeah, too. definitely. And the reason why I say this, a lot of people don't know that I have free resources on there. Aside from my food pyramid, I do link up a lot of different documentaries that I think are amazing oh, awesome. okay. and inspirational that you can get pumped to kind of take your health to that next level. Mm movies always work, right? The game changer. Oh, I know yeah. a lot of people who have said, oh my gosh, and my life has changed from that. But um, there's so many. Uh, so that would, I would say, and I have books on there as well. I also have a section on different alternative products and cosmetics. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so th these are things that I've 
research for years that um, I know the environmental working group, so skindy.org has, you know, the low hazard ratio cosmetics and, you know, things like that. So I've, I've basically put some of those on there as well as other alternative things like yoga mats that don't contain any toxic chemicals. Like one that I recommend is like made out of cork, pure cork, for instance. So I have some things like that. Um, books that I would definitely recommend, um, How to Prevent, Treat, and Reverse Heart Disease, Dr. Caldwell Esselson, Dr. Okay. Dean Ornish has a lot of great books. Um, How Not to Die with Dr. Gregor, <laughs> you know, I'll just throw that out there as well. You know, there's so many valuable resources. That's the whole food plant-based community. I actually think Dr. Mark Hyman with his work um, in functional medicine is a very wonderful resource. So um you know, his platform is fantastic for following. He's got a good podcast too. So, okay. um, Dr. Andrew Weil, uh, he's been a pioneer in integrative medicine. He has a lot of fabulous resources through the university of Arizona. Um, for both clinicians and lay people alike, there's a lot of different certification programs that are linked to these medical bodies. Uh, so for functional medicine, you can look under, you know, the functional medicine Institute and through integrative medicine. So the Arizona, um, University of Arizona has different resources like that. But for the lay public in general, um, following these people on their social media platforms, yeah, checking out their websites, good, yeah. um, looking and referencing all the documentaries that I mentioned, um, you know, there's other things like Food Matters TV uh, is a really great, another documentary-based, subscription-based service that's all about healthy eating, living. It's actually really amazing. So um, if you can't find some of their documentaries or you don't want to buy them, you can always go there. So you're welcome, Food Matters. I'm actually not affiliated with any of these people. Mm -hmm. These are just from my own research, the, the take-homes that I would say are the places that I would start with. M movies are always great. Books are always great. So, okay, yeah. And my book's not out there yet. So. <laughs> it's coming. Did you want to share some of the things that you're working on? Are you ready to? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so great. I have a program that was supposed to launch in January. And I apologize for the audience and the people that have been waiting on this program. So it's a 30-day comprehensive total lifestyle transformation program. It's launching May 1st. Okay. Um, myself and my husband, who's actually a practicing physician in a hospital setting. He's an in uh, internal medicine physician. We're both... Uh, launching this comprehensive program that is going to incorporate all the things that we talked about in this podcast in terms of whole food plant-based nutrition uh, and so 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 much more but also um, you know th the five principles of using lifestyle as medicine so how to optimize the mind body social support environmental impacts and then the nutrition part and we're going to go on a journey with everybody for one solid month you're going to get meal plans but meal plans that are totally flexible that you'll be able to customize yourself because I the last thing you need is someone telling you what to eat mm -hmm. specifically every day mm -hmm. there's going to be educational videos it's the biggest you know part of this whole program uh, at least 10 solid hours of discussing the little tidbits that you know some of the things that I brought up here but even so 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 much more that we couldn't cover um and that I just can't cover just having a conversation yeah, with someone yeah. but um you know, so, so, so many of those, and we're going to dive into functional medicine, how to figure out your root cause, how to work through your disease process or not. Some people are just trying to prevent. Some people want to just live a long life. What can I do to optimize my lifestyle, leveling up your lifestyle? So basically it's how to use your lifestyle as medicine. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be taking you on this whole 
journey and exercises that you should be doing every day, meditation practices that you should be doing every day. We're going to give you so many different modalities so that you can find your way through your own health journey. So Mm -hmm. at the end of it, what I would love to see is people leaving with not only a transformation physically, um, you know, symptom wise, mentally, but also in in their entire life where they feel like they've now been empowered, that they, they know what health is. They know what health means to them and they know what to expect. They know the questions to ask. They know the resources to go to. They know how to analyze their lab tests. They understand. I love that. Yeah. So it's an all encompassing thing. It's taken me 17 years (laughs) from the time I started kinesiology to compile really this comprehensive understanding and how to put everything together in a nutshell for people to Make it applicable and practical mm-hmm. so it's not too sciencey where you it goes over your head, but you can literally apply it to your life and make it sustainable and give yourself the best chance at living the healthiest you can. And for not just you, but for your family. And I cry because this is like literally my uh, life. And um, <laughs> I've seen so many incredible transformations when I take people on these journeys one on one. And I cannot wait to do it, you know, in a group setting where we could do this together and have a community. We're going to have a community, private community where we can interact every day. And there's going to be, you know, various different sessions where we do live calls throughout the month with myself and um, the other Dr. Sanders, Mm -hmm. Victor Sanders. So, um, yeah, so we're really pumped. So that program is called Health Style, so May 1st. So if you're interested, definitely uh, go on my site, sign up, and you could just sign up through the contact page and say you're interested in the health style and everything will be revealed very, very soon I'm in terms so of the details I'm so excited. I cannot that. wait to yeah. hear more about it and see, yeah. you know, all the little things. But I just love that you're on such an amazing, authentic mission to really change people's lives but educate them and give them all the tools they need to actually do it themselves. Yeah. So thanks so so excited. Thank Thank you you so, so much. My voice is completely gone. So So maybe I should, I should finish this off now. (laughs) Well, thank you all for hopefully getting to the end of this episode. Again, I really apologize for the roughness of my voice, but I really hope you guys got some good information from that. Regardless of whether you completely agree with unprocessed veganism, whole food, plant-based diet, lifestyle, or you are a full-blown carnivore, I think all of us can agree that eating more whole foods and vegetables and fruits is good for you no matter who you are. So this week's magnetic moment is going to be to find just one whole food plant-based or unprocessed vegan recipe and make it for you, your partner, your family. And the reason I want to start with this, again, it might seem so simple, but oftentimes we get so overwhelmed when we feel like we need to completely change our diet, especially when we have no idea what we could even make or any recipes. And so this is just a start, first of all, to make it feel manageable, but secondly, to show a lot of people out there that you can have an absolutely delicious, satisfying meal that doesn't have any animal products in it. And again, as you were listening to the episode, if there was something else that you heard that really resonated with you that you'd like to implement this week, then do that instead. But the whole point is that 
after you listen and learn, you take that information and actually apply it to your life, even if it's in just the smallest way. So I'm so excited to see what recipes you guys choose or what else you have come up with for your magnetic moment this week. And I would really, really love to see them. So when you find a recipe, when you make it, tag me in social media, let me know how it is. And we can just continue this journey of growth and learning together. 